Hey, this is John, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adult Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaic.org forward slash young adults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Now we're going to be in Galatians 3, verses 19 through 26. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. This is the word of the Lord. Sub YA. You can just put that on top there. Thank you. I'm just kidding. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> I've been thinking about that all week since he's asked me to preach. Uh, uh, who loves Caesar? Can we just give it up for your boy Caesar? If you haven't gotten the, the time yet to get to know Caesar and his wife, Rachel, don't. Because um, you will fall in love with them and then you will not want to make new friends. Ah, uh, I'm just setting up. I'm just, I like to be dramatic. So give me a second. Um, truly though, thank you, Caesar, for preaching faithfully the last two years to us from the word of God. I've been greatly blessed. Amen. And not just because of Caesar's faithfulness, but because of the faithfulness of the scriptures, right? Um, the scriptures we hold supreme here. It is not the person preaching. Um, they're just the messenger. The word of the Lord remains forever. Um, I can't do this. <laughs> Give me that table. <laughs> oh. This is for you. This is custom built for Caesar. Oh, we probably need to pray again because all that reverence has just happened. God, man, it's good to be here with you guys. You know, recently I've been in a couple rooms full of people I love, like this one, and someone does something or a couple of people do something that just doesn't make sense to me. That's like weird. And uh, they like act completely contrary to what I was expecting. Like for instance, a couple of weeks ago, I get to help out in Mosaic Kids here on Sundays. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Emily does too. <laughs> Nobody else though. Anybody else have a Mosaic Kids? Oh, there's a bunch of them. Oh, I heard a lot of ladies voice up there. Any men who help in Mosaic Kids? <laughs> uh, we need to change that we need to change that praise God 
kids, young boys need great examples um, in, uh, in godly men. Anyways, I've been helping here at Mosaic Kids for almost 15 years now by God's grace. It's been wild. Oh man, I've wanted to quit so many times. But thank God for helping me persevere and not give up, truly. Um, he's so kind. But anyways, a couple weeks ago, I'm the Mosaic Kids, 1117, I get to help. I uh, usually get to help teach the Bible story and it's so fun. I get to be dramatic and it's not shameful. Um, and, uh, and, and then also sometimes we get to small groups. And I was in this little second grade kids small group and I got to be with the boys. And I was like, let's go. I get to invest in these second grade boys. Like their lives are going to be changed forever. Or my life's going to be changed forever. Probably both. Um, and, uh, and we're like in the middle of it. And someone's like preaching the gospel. Like my co-leader's like, just going to town. He's a great guy. His name's Howard and he's a doctor and he's amazing and he loves Jesus. And I'm like, I'm just sitting there like, I want to be a second grade boy again in this small group. And then I look over and these two boys are just like, not wrestling, like play wrestling. They're just like going to town on each other, you know? And I'm like, I've never even punched someone that hard in my life, you know, yet alone as a seven-year-old, you know? And I'm just like, what the heck? And I'm like, in the middle of like the most amazing gospel preaching from Howard, I'm like, literally like, my tongue is out of my mouth. I'm like, Wow, Jesus is awesome. And then I look over and these two boys are just like killing each other, rolling on the floor. I'm not joking, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. So I'm like, bro, 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 bro. You know, and I'm literally like so shocked. Like, I can't believe I'm what I'm witnessing. And so I have this like extremely emotional like reaction. Like, I'm like, what is going on? You know, and I'm not, I'm not even exaggerating. I'm so shocked at what I'm witnessing that I'm like this, this, this like, this emotion comes up, but also like this spiritual, like fatherhood comes up in me. I'm like, stop, stop. Don't you know what you guys are? You're the church and you're Christians. You know, I didn't say it exactly like that, but that's basically like this edifying truth of like shock emotion and like inviting him in to know who they actually should be a seventh seven year old boys comes out of my mouth. Who <sighs> I was reliving that, sorry. <laughs> this like passionate, rebuke and invitation to see the truth. Like I actually took my time. There's a lot of grace. It was emotion and passion, but we sat there. I was like, Do you, well, how'd this start? And he's like, well, he called me a name. And then uh, then he punched me. He's like, no, I didn't, you know? And then it's like, I don't even know what's going on. I'm just, and it's so cool. Like the spirit within me helps me see so quickly. Like, oh, I see what's going on in your heart. Oh, I thought you're a liar. Okay. You know? And <laughs> And, and you and your dad has taught you how to defend yourself and you think that you got to do that to this kid at church, you know. So I can see in their hearts in this a spirit-filled, emotion-filled, loving, like rebuke and then gentle invitation to remember the truth comes out of me to these seven-year-old boys. And that's basically what's happening with Paul and the church in Galatia. No, seriously, that's basically what's happening. Like that's, that you got to understand something. We were in the book of Galatians together, right? We're in chapter three. And Paul loves, it's not just one church, it's the region of Galatia. So it's churches that are planted in different cities in Galatia. And Paul loves these churches. Like he loves them. Like, like I know that, like I was like, if I'm going to say he loves them, you guys are like, cool, he loves them. Like you don't understand how much Paul loved these churches. He literally gave his life for them. Okay, Acts, uh, 13, Acts 14, 19 through 20, it's crazy. I'm just, I don't have it open in my Bible, so we'll just read it up here. Um, maybe, maybe not, the gospel of grace. That's what we'll read. There it is. Acts 14, listen, okay, pause. Actually, go back to the gospel of grace. I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. I'm so excited right now. 
Go back to gospel risk. Go away. We don't want to read that yet. Hold on. Paul was Saul, is Saul. And Paul, Saul, it's confusing, but he's the same guy. Um, he was on the road to destroying Christianity. Like he hated these Jesus followers, the way is what they were called. And so he's on his way to kill Christians. Jesus appears to him, reveals himself to him and says, yo, what you doing to my people? And he's like, who are you? He's like, I'm Jesus, the one you're trying to kill my people. And he's like, whoa. And then he's blind. And then Jesus is like, look, I got great plans for you. And then Paul's like, okay. And then Paul goes and spends time away in the, the desert with Jesus probably. And then he goes back to Peter and James and John. And they're like, yeah, you know Jesus now. Why is you were killing us now? You know Jesus, let's go. And so they're in Jerusalem and that's like the hub. And then the hub moves up to Antioch. It's, I don't know, I didn't measure, 50 miles north of Jerusalem. I think it's on a map I looked at. And um, they're in Antioch. And they're just devoted to Jesus. They're devoted to the word. They're devoted to loving another, like Acts 2 kind of stuff. And they're praying and praying and praying and praying. And it literally says in it, I think chapter 13, the spirit came upon them and said, set apart Barnabas, set apart Paul. I have a mission for them to go unto. So the believers in the room were like, okay. They pray over Paul and Barnabas. I don't know, I wasn't there. So I don't know exactly how I went down. And, um, and they go. And they, they go like up a little further north out of Antioch up and then they're like, let's go across the, 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 the sea and they cross over this island. And it literally says in chapter 13, they start this one little like uh, sea town on the, the edge of the island and they're sharing about Jesus just with anyone who's there. They're just boldly proclaiming. And they start sharing and people start listening and they're just so excited about Jesus and, and how everyone is starting to hear the gospel for the first time. These are this island, never heard of the gospel before. And they're going around and it says they went around the entire island, the entire island, all the way around each city heard the gospel. And then they were like, maybe we should go up uh, further north. And they cross over the sea and up to this another port uh, city that's uh, south, uh, the southern tip of the region of Galatia. They start sharing the gospel in that city. And it's like crazy. Some people are like, this is amazing. Some people are like, what is this crazy stuff they're talking about? Some people respond and give their lives to Jesus. Some are like, this is craziness. And they want to try to kill Paul and Barnabas. So they, they move on to the next city and the next city, and the next city. They go to like four or five cities in the region of Galatia. And then Paul enters into this one last city in chapter 14. And he's doing the same thing. He's like, guys, you need to hear about this. And he goes to the, to, to the Jews first, because they know of the Old Testament laws. And I wasn't even planning on saying all this. I'm just excited about the, the, the context. I'm sorry. So Paul is sharing, but it literally says in chapter 13, 14, that the Jews who were mad at Paul for, for, uh, for preaching the gospel, because they were losing their authority in the community. They were losing the religious authority in the community because Jesus was now the authority of these people, right? They were literally coming to Christ saying, we, we now submit our lives to Christ. And so these same people are so mad, they, they start chasing Paul down. They chase him from city to city. They can't find him. They finally find him in this last city. And this is what it says. We can now go there. Acts 14, 19. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Those are two of the cities in the regions of Galatia, region of Galatia. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city supposing he was dead. They're like, bro, we hate you. Let's go to the edge of the city. <laughs> I have a funny story. Oh my gosh. One of my mentors said that like 10 years ago, I'm saying young adults, same exact thing, trying to say city. That's hilarious. I'm gonna have to call him tonight. All right. I haven't talked to him in like five years. All right. Um, let's not lose track. All right. <laughs> That's amazing. I've never done that in 15 years of preaching. All right. Oh, we need to pray. Supposing he was dead. They go to the edge of the city. They're stoning him to death. Stoning him to death. Supposing he was dead. But when the disciples who were afraid and they were kind of hiding, come around him, 
he rose up and entered back into the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city, he had made many disciples. They returned to Lystra and Iconium, Antioch, the place that the people had stoned him, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. He goes back to the cities, the towns, where people stoned him. And he's like, guys, I know I was here like three months ago and I was talking about Jesus and you came to faith in Jesus. But look, there's, look, I'm bleeding all over. I, I know I could die any minute because they could find me in this house telling you about Jesus again, but I don't care. Jesus is worth it. And you might end up suffering here too, but it's worth it. He loves these churches so much so he gave his life for them. Somehow he didn't die. I don't know all the physics and I didn't listen too well in my, what's that, human anatomy class? That one. So that's how much Paul loves it. He goes back to, to, the, to um, Antioch and he's there telling everyone about what happened in uh, this area that's a hub north of Jerusalem. And everyone's excited hearing about how the gospel is spreading all over the region of Galatia. And then years later, he hears that these churches, that the message of Jesus is worth dying for, they are not only willing to compromise on but even potentially willing to depart from and return back to the law or a different way to get to God. And not only that, but they're willing to turn back to the law, which is a far lesser beauty than the gospel itself. It's like they were offered this spiritual diamond in proposal from Jesus. He's like, the, the gospel is the most beautiful gem of all gospels the most freeing, most beautiful, like the one that is like, wow, when you look at it, you are stunned. And they're like, man, we might want to go back to, I don't know, a sandpaper ring, you know? And so he's shocked. And so what does he do when he gets shocked? He writes a letter. So Paul writes a letter and that's the letter to the Galatians. Now, I don't want to misrepresent Paul here. He's not just consumed with like some human emotional jealousy, like a spiritual father losing his reputation, like, oh, don't make me come back up there, guys, because other churches are starting to make me starting to make me look bad in front of other churches. He's filled with the Spirit of God. Like a fa- our God, our Father God's zealous love for us to know him fully and rightly. And that's how he's writing this letter. I just want to remind you guys because it's been three weeks, okay? There you go. That's the letter of Galatians. So three weeks ago, we kicked off this letter, chapter one, Caesar is preaching and he's basically like, yo, if, Paul's like, if God can save me, he can save anyone. It's not through works. If it was through works, I would have earned it, but I didn't earn it. It's through grace. Grace is, is supreme over all. We have a, a pathway to God through grace, the grace of Jesus Christ. And grace covers all things and grace is for all. Don't forget that your salvation is not through works, but it's through grace, extended the free gift of God to us. Grace is unmerited favor, unmerited value. Not earned value from God, but unmerited, unearned. And then in chapter two, last two weeks ago, KD was preaching, and he's like, yo, it's not only by grace that you're saved, but it's through faith in Jesus. Not through any other faith, not through faith in yourself, not through faith in the law, not through faith in anything. And the, the Galatians are forgetting this. They're having the gospel amnesia where they're like, 
we can do it every day. I was uh, just on the trail, um, the um, Oakland Nature Preserve Trail, a few hours ago, spending time with Jesus, just praying. And uh, I love going to the nature. Anyone else like going around nature and talking to Jesus? Come on. Anyone like, I hate going outside? Yeah. I don't know where you connect with Jesus the best. Maybe it's playing video games. Um, maybe it's, I don't know, on a trail. For me, it's right now currently going to nature preserves. I was walking down the trail and um, man, I've been there so many times. It's starting to get familiar. So I'm like, what new route can I take today? Because like, I've seen all this. And then I'm like, oh, there's a spider. I haven't seen that one yet, you know? And so I'm walking, trying to like listen to, for God, like enjoy God, like legitimately, this is not fake. This is like me, like I'm trying to enjoy God more recently. I'm trying, my abiding is sometimes so serious and that's good when God leads you to be serious. Sometimes it should be joyful, right? So I'm like trying to enjoy God. And then I hear a little, little like rustle in the woods next to me. And I'm like, ooh. And I hear rustle in the woods all the time. So I stop. Sometimes I'm too busy, I gotta keep walking. But this time I'm like, I wonder what it's gonna be, you know? And I'm like, I sit there and I'm like, I hang over the edge and I'm just like in anticipation. I'm just waiting and then like one person walks by me and another person walks by me and I probably look weird just standing there, but I don't care. Cause I, I'm like, I don't know what it's gonna be, you know? And so I'm like, maybe it's gonna be like a baby raccoon, you know, come on. Like just a little baby raccoon peeks his head out of the bushes. I'm like, hi, you know, I'm so excited. Maybe it's a little baby deer, you know, I'm starting to get, I'm like, this is good. God, you love me. Maybe it's gonna be a bald eagle and fly out right at me and sit on my shoulder and just show me you love me. Like I'm anticipating it, you know? And then I wait, I'm not even, I wait 10 minutes in this spot, this little chill, boring spot. We're not even to the lake yet, you know? And then out of the woods comes a squirrel. <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding me, God? I see squirrels everywhere, you know? I didn't want to see a squirrel right now. I wanted a baby raccoon, you know? And I'm like, whatever. And I keep walking. And this is how we can sometimes treat the gospel. It's just another squirrel, you know? We see them all the time. We hear the gospel at church. We, we preach the gospel to ourselves. It gets boring. It gets mundane. We get used to it. And Paul's like, no. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And that's what he's about to do again here in chapter three. Um, who in here thinks they've, they've known me the longest? Hannah? Oh, my parents are, dang it. <laughs> Wasn't expecting that. Oh, okay, let's do my parents. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. Some of you might know me very well. Some of you might not know me that well. So I thought I'd use an example that, you know, would, would, uh, would help relate to what chapter three is really talking about. So, okay. In the last 10 years that you've known me, um, as an adult, what has been my favorite food to reference enjoying and appreciating in the last 10 years? What's this right here? Ice cream. That's right. If you can't see it, it is an off-brand mint chocolate chip ice cream. And I think it has Hannah's name on it, so it's even better. I brought a spoon for myself. All right. So this is ice cream. It's legit. Sorry, Hannah. Um, yeah. The last 10 years, I have grown to love ice cream, okay? Actually, it was always in me since birth. I just didn't know it. I discovered it as an adult. Um, I'm in way off in my notes here. I'm sorry. I don't even know where I'm at. <laughs> Okay, man, when I talk about what I love and what stirs my affections in life when it comes to food, it's ice cream. But in the last year, who's gotten to know me pretty well? Obi, you got, cool. What in the last year? <laughs> okay, I gotta stay focused, I'm sorry. I gotta stay focused. In the last year, 
what has been actually maybe a food that I've been trying to eat more of and enjoy more often, more regularly? New water, that's right. My young adult water bottle. Spinach, spinach. I don't know about you guys, but I've discovered that a good handful of spinach is amazing at the right time. And so I've been the last year on this crazy health kick. Um, honestly, it's been amazing. I'm changing. I used to be addicted to ice cream, but now I'm almost addicted to spinach. But, but when I have a down day or when something does not go the way I want it to, or I feel like I failed at something, in the subconscious of my mind as I'm like driving home, I go, you know what I need right now? I need some spinach. No. I'm like, I need to get my hands on some ice cream. Why? Because it doesn't matter how much we change, how hard we work at becoming someone new. When things go wrong, when things don't go the way we want them to, when things get uncomfortable, we feel like we failed. We want to run to what's natural and comfortable. We all do it. Spinach is not natural for me. I was made for ice cream, baby. I've been changing. If you've watched my life, it's not a Caleb thing. God has worked in me to love spinach. But when I don't feel like something's going my way, when I feel like I've failed, I turn to what's natural and comfortable. And not just with food, but we all do this. No matter how strong we are, when something doesn't go right, we want to turn to what's comfortable and natural. And to each of us, it might be different. It might be a person we want to turn to that we know will accept us. It might be a version of escaping that we want to turn to like Netflix, video games, or YouTube. It might be a food we want to turn to because it's more comfortable. It might be looking at your bank account because you find security in that. It might be staring yourself in the mirror. It doesn't matter. We all want to turn to whatever's natural and comfortable to us when things don't go the way we want them to. And in chapter three today, Paul is writing to these Christians who have now been saved by grace through faith in Jesus, but they want to return to what was comfortable to them spiritually in relating to God. They want to return to the law. This new way of relating to God through Jesus, faith in Jesus is uncomfortable to them. They had spent years building their whole life around the law, practicing the law, daily living it to relate to God. And now the gospel's been presented to them and their faith is not through what they can do in the law, but in Christ himself is sufficient enough. And so it's hard, like they've been trying to live in it, but it's uncomfortable. So they're returning when things get difficult to the law. And Paul is about to address that in chapter three, to show them that the old way was good, but Jesus is superior. And I hope each of us leave here tonight convinced that what's natural and comfortable might be good, but in all things, Jesus is far superior. Amen, David. That we can turn to things in this life that make us feel secure and in control, but truly relying on Jesus in every way is far superior than any other comfort. That the very things that we're going to for our comfort and control actually were meant to lead us to the one who's better anyways. And that our desire to turn to them reveals just how much Jesus is truly better and they're not enough. 
So let's get into the passage now. Galatians chapter three, um, verses one through five. We'll start there. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, meaning did you already suffer a lot for giving up your old ways and now you're just not worthless? It's worthless now? Verse five, does he being God who supplies the spirit to you and works and miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So Paul starts off by saying, hey, how are you even saved? It wasn't by you coming to God and saying, I'm gonna earn your love. It was by come, God coming to you and saying, I love you despite what you've done. You were saved by faith. Why now turn back to works? That makes no sense. It doesn't even logically compute. It's like me with those two kids. I'm like, we're at church. You both are Christians probably. And we're talking about Jesus and how he loves one another. We should love one another. And you're punching each other. It's like, it makes no sense. Like if you were actually saved by grace through faith in Jesus, why would you go back to the law? It doesn't even compute to me. And so he starts off there by saying, hey, it doesn't even make sense logically. And then when it comes to logic, Paul is an Old Testament logic wizard, okay? He is master Jedi Knight when it comes to Old Testament logic, okay? If you wanted to get into a debate with Paul about the Old Testament, you would lose, all right? I'm not the best debater. Um, I'm not, logic is not my first means of, of discussing things. I'm more relational. I'm more wired to, to connect through story. I'm more wired to connect through, through fun, through, 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 I don't know, ice cream and spinach. Um, but Paul, he's the opposite of me. This is different. He wants to wrestle with you through logical arguments. And so the next, uh, I don't know, nine verses, ten, uh, 12 verses, Paul is about to logically explain to them using their points of logic why actually everything they're saying should lead them back to the law is actually going to, should lead them to Jesus. Why well, I share this because we could get really lost in here really fast, especially with me preaching. If Caesar was up here preaching, we'd be balling out on these next 12 verses. But I'm preaching today and we get lost really fast, okay? Because it's like a systematic theology lesson in these next 12 verses. And so instead of going through all seven um, references to the Old Testament Paul's about to use to logically show them why Jesus is superior than the law. We're just gonna pick two. Sound good? All right, so verse um, six, just remember that he is about to systematically in these next 12 verses, show them why Jesus is superior than the law. And in verse six, he uses one example here. He says this in verse six through seven. Just as Abram believed God, it was counted him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abram. They, they, they were saying, probably, I think, I should have studied more. Um, <laughs> they were saying, we're sons of Abraham. So yeah, I mean, we have faith in Jesus now, but we're also sons of Abraham. And Abraham, like, in order to connect to that lineage to God, we should go back to the law. So they're like, maybe we can continue to believe in Jesus, but also go back to the law. And Paul is saying, just as Abram believed in God, who was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. He's saying, if you actually want to be children of Abraham, Abram didn't believe in God through his works. He believed in God through his faith. Remember the story where God comes to Abram and was like, hey, you're going to have a son. And Abram's like, I'm like 91 years old. 
okay. <laughs> he didn't go like, I've got to go like pray a bunch and then maybe I can have a son. He just accepted God's word that it was true. It was faith. So Paul says, if you really want to be children of Abraham, don't go back to the law. Abraham accepted God's word in faith. And so those, of, those who are sons of Abraham are actually accepting the gospel in faith. So that's one example he uses of the seven, okay? Are we tracking? Are we good so far? Okay, second example he uses, well, not second, the one I'm gonna look at, we're gonna look at is verse 12, okay? But the law is not a faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by faith. But the law is not a faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by faith. Paul says, you wanna go back to the law because you think that's what's gonna produce faith. But actually, if you go back to the law, you've gotta keep all of the law. And your faith is now in keeping the law, not in Christ keeping it on your behalf. So Paul says, you're saying I need to go back to the law so I can continue in my salvation. I need to go back to the Old Testament. When we say law, that's the Old Testament, right? That's the first five books of the Bible. I need to go back to that and follow all of them in order to be right with God. And I can also believe in Jesus. And Paul's saying, what? Like if you go back to the law, then you've got to keep the whole law. And that's now your faith is in your works to keep the law. It's not in Jesus anymore. So your logical point to go back to the law to stay close to God doesn't work because you can't. You tracking? Okay, cool. I'm not tracking. Um, <laughs> so Paul's saying in these 12 verses, you can read them for yourselves and study for yourselves if you want to. They're beautiful, but I didn't want us to get lost. He's basically saying this. The law was always meant to lead to Jesus. So he's basically saying these 12 verses. The law, the whole time it was established and it came through Moses and then on and on and on and on and throughout the whole Old Testament was meant to point to Jesus. So you have him, why go back? So then if you're sitting here like me, you're like, well, then what's the point of the law? Great question. Paul asked the same one. Verse, where are we at? Verse 19, where we read from, or Rachel so graciously read um, for us earlier. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to those a promise has been made. It was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if the law had been given, that if the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin or the law imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, there before faith came, we, heard, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Okay, so Paul's wrapping up his point here in chapter three to this point. He says, remember the gospel, you're saved not by your works, but by grace through faith in Jesus. And now your faith is not in your works, but in Christ, because he's done it for you. But you want to go back to the law, but the whole point of the law was meant to lead to Jesus, whom we now have faith in. So then what's the point of the law? And Paul says, the whole point of the law was that it was, I'm looking for the exact word. It was added because of transgressions. We can actually, yeah, there you go. It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made or down here so that the law, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came. Paul is saying this. I'm just going to read these notes because they're better than what's in my head. Um, Paul is saying, why the law? Great question. Three reasons. One, it was put in place 
uh, to give a means for Israel to relate to a holy God. So at the time, Israel couldn't relate to God because God was holy and they weren't. So the law is perfect and good. So if you follow the law, you can actually connect with God. So the law was actually given as a means for Israel to be able to connect with the holy God. So that's why the law. Second, if God didn't give them the law, they probably would have ended up destroying themselves because of their sin. They would have imploded. They wouldn't have been sustained until Christ came. They would have, their, their, their sin would have caused them to implode as a nation. So either God would have come down and killed them because he was so mad with their sin or they would have killed each other. So the law was actually a guardian in place to kind of be like, uh, uh, like a, uh, what's, he uses the metaphor of like a uh, schoolmaster, but basically a temporary means of discipline so that you don't destroy yourselves. So that's also grace. And then lastly, um, well, those are three things. Put in place to give as a means for Israel to relate to the Holy God so that God, the, that God would not destroy them um, until Jesus came and also so they would not destroy themselves. So actually what Paul is trying to say here, and he says so well, is that the law was actually a means of grace. The law was always a means of grace. If you go into my shower right now, which you probably shouldn't do that because that'd be a little creepy. But if you did, you'd find on the walls of my shower uh, passages of scripture. It's actually a really cool way to memorize scripture, I found out. You just put it on a piece of paper, laminate it, boom, sticks to your walls in your shower. Um, and right now, just coincidentally, Psalm 119 is up on my wall. And this is the longest chapter in the Bible, and it's beautiful. And every single verse talks about how beautiful the law is. It's like, man, God's law is amazing. I meditate on day and night. It gives me life. God's law is so good. It's, it's perfect. And God giving the law was actually meant to be a means of grace. So God's dis- disposition towards humanity all along was, let me show you grace. The Old Testament God, when he gives the law, is the same as the New Testament God when he gave Christ. Grace was through the law so they could relate to God and not destroy each other. Now grace is through Christ, so we could relate to God. The law was a temporary means of grace. Christ is the eternal means of grace. Paul is saying, if you go back to the temporary means of grace, you're abandoning the fulfilled eternal means of grace, Jesus. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. I didn't come to get rid of what was good, I came to fulfill it. And so Paul is saying, hey, the law is good. I'm not saying the law was bad. I'm not saying it should have been there. It was a good thing. But Christ is better. Christ is always better. The law was the accountability partner for Israel. The law was the holding Israel in place until the Savior came. But now he's come. The law was the temporary fulfillment of grace. But Jesus is the permanent fulfillment of grace. So why go back to what's maybe natural and comfortable but far less superior. We have what's superior. We have Christ. That's what he says in verse 25 and 26 to close it out. He says, but now that faith has come, Jesus, we are no longer under the guardian, the law. For in Christ, Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. We don't need to get to return to what's comfortable, what makes us feel in control. We have Christ. He's superior. I don't care what's natural or comfortable. I want Christ. Honestly, I don't know if our struggle is exactly like the church in Galatians. 
It's not that we're trying to return to the law for our best life. I don't know if anyone here is trying to keep all 700 whatever laws there are. Casey's like, I don't even know them all. Or I do know them all. You probably know them all. But you're not trying to keep them. No one's doing that. That's not our problem. That was their problem. It's actually that we think we can live our best life in our own way. That's what we turn to. We create our own laws that we subscribe to, thinking this will give me what I want. This will give me life. Let me just propose to you, just like these Christians in Galatia, the law was not going to give them what they truly wanted, Jesus would. Pursuing our own version of life, creating our own laws for ourselves and thinking that we're measuring up to them will not give us the life we desire. Only Christ will. Jesus wants better for us. We create laws that we subscribe to. And one of them, like, I think one of the problems is that um, sometimes we actually believe we want better for ourselves than Jesus does. But faith in Jesus is giving him all of our own rules and regulations that we've created as individuals and even as a society and saying, actually, Jesus, what you want is better. So my faith is not in what I can make for myself or what society can make for me, but in what you've done for me once and for all. That's chapter three. And to wrap it up, I just kind of made a list of my own laws I made for myself recently. I put six of them down here. Some of them might relate to you, some of them might not at all. I don't know. But maybe you can think about what are some of the ones you're creating for yourself that you think would give you more life than Jesus would. First one for me is, if I just try harder to be a better man, I'll have a great future. That's an internal law I can create for myself really quickly. If I just work hard enough, I will be accepted by others and ultimately by God. If I just say yes to enough people and helping them, showing them I love them, I'll find fulfillment. If I go to CrossFit enough, I'll have a Chris Hemsworth body. If I look spiritual enough, people won't see that I actually am not perfect. Just don't do any of the really big sins and then you will make it kill. Instead, here's what faith in Jesus sweetly looks like and what is the invitation for us tonight. Because Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the creator and sustainer of my faith. He knows it all. I can truly trust in him with my future. And me not knowing what tomorrow brings is actually freeing and exciting. Because Jesus knows me fully and accepts me entirely at my worst. I can go back into the kitchen and have a loving, vulnerable conversation with my mom, regardless if I want to or not. Because Jesus is my treasure, I can say no to opportunities, ministry requests, promotions, and not feel insecure about letting people down or missing out. I can floss my teeth each night. That's one that in faith I have to do. Because Christ is the fulfillment of my faith, my trust in him frees me from needing to perform and pretend and can be in the light that he's provided for me and be authentic in my faith right where I'm at. Because Jesus, my faith is in Jesus and he's my, he's my safe place and truly my strong tower. When I have moments of discouragement, I feel rejected or lonely instead of turning to sugar, movies, or even the comfort of another person to escape, 
I can have an honest conversation with the one who loves me most and has loved me perfectly to the end that will lead to joy and peace. Keeping the law is good, but faith in Christ is superior. Turning to any earthly comfort is good, but Christ is superior. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> You're amazing. I find myself oftentimes like those two little kids fighting. Just missing it, the whole point of life. And you show up and you graciously, tenderly, passionately invite me into freedom. Father, you want more for this young adult community than we want for ourselves. You want more for us than Caesar wants for us. And you have paved the way through it for it through Jesus Christ. You've completely made a way to the best life possible in you, Jesus. God, I pray for us in this room that have created laws in our own hearts that we are trying to hold ourselves up to that we ultimately will fail, or if we succeed at them, we'll not really need you. I pray you would destroy those laws. You would reveal them to us, and we would trust you. We would trust you, Jesus, that you're better, that we don't have to turn to them to feel comfortable or safe or secure. We don't have to turn to them. Our faith is in you, Jesus. And then all of them, all the good things you provide for us become a means of displaying the gospel. That every good thing that you've given us becomes a freedom to share with you in and not a taskmaster they will never live up to. Our hope truly is in you, Jesus. You alone are superior. You alone are enough. Guard our anxious hearts. Draw us into your everlasting love. Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use this message you just received and direct your heart completely towards him. If you want to hear more messages like this one, please feel free to check out our past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes.